Living a legal life has had life-changing benefits. Today, I have friends, actual friends for the first time in over 30 years. For the first time in my life, I'm able to be me and not run from who I was or who I am. I've never had that before. I've always tried to be someone else, tried to become the person other people wanted me to be, both in business and in personal relationships. Now, I'm able to concentrate on just being me. I'm a, I've been able to move consistently toward becoming a healthy person. I've been facing my demons, taking responsibility, and dedicating myself to making good decisions. Sometimes, well, sometimes I fail, and I call the eighth largest bank on the planet a bunch of assholes. But more often than not, I succeed. I can't fully express how much my life has changed for the positive over the past few years. It's truly something which can't be put into words. One of the main benefits is the type of people I'm able to call friend today, like Kelly Pope, professor at DePaul and a filmmaker. I met Kelly because she read an article about me and thought it would be a good thing for me to come in and talk to her class. From there, we became friends. My entire life, my moral compass pointed in whatever direction I needed it to in order to justify whatever decision I wanted to make. Often, that meant it was pointed as far south of heaven as I could possibly get. The past few years, though, have been different, and I've been living well with that compass pointed true north. Kelly? Kelly is the most moral person that I have ever met. She is the most ethically sound person that I know. If we all had a compass like hers, well, we wouldn't have a lot of the shit that we have in this world today. Kelly was kind enough to sit down with me to discuss Brett Johnson as a legal person. Welcome to the Anglerfish Podcast, where we visit the darkest corners of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. The United States Secret Service called me the original Internet Godfather. Now, what does it take to get a title like that? 39 felonies, a place on the United States Most Wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. This first season of the Anglerfish podcast tells of my rise and fall as the world's first internet godfather. It's a fascinating story. You'll learn how cybercriminals think, how modern cybercrime came into being, and why it's so successful and hard to stop, and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to one of using the knowledge I acquired as a criminal to help protect others against the type of person I used to be. So, Britt, I met you before you knew that we actually met. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> I was reading NBC News one morning okay. on my phone, and there was an article about this cyber criminal. Ah. And I was like, whoa, who's this dude? And I was reading, and it said how you go around and you talk about your story, 
and you know how we all should be careful. So I wanted to talk to you. Okay. So I Google your name because <laughs> that's what we do. And I came to your website and it said the contact me page. And so I sent you an email and I was shocked when you responded. (laughs) And that is what started our relationship and you coming back and forth to DePaul and scaring my students half to death. It's it's this thing now I've come to expect it. If I don't get the invite, I'm like, where the hell's the invite? Why am I not at DePaul this year? Good. Well, expected every quarter. As I've listened to your presentation several times now, right. it's amazing where you started versus where you are now. But I think the question that we all have <laughs> is how authentic is the new Brett Johnson? Ah, well, that's, that's the thing, right? <laughs> is there a such thing as a reformed, convicted white collar offender? I think there is, but I think it's a journey more than anything. When I got out of prison, I was released in 2011. I was in route. They put you on a Greyhound bus. They give you like, you know, whatever the money is. They give you a minimum of $100, put you on a Greyhound bus, and you go to the halfway house. And you spend anywhere from three to six months at the halfway house in order to integrate you back into society. So I'm on the Greyhound bus. My dad picks me up at the Greyhound bus station. And I've trained him. I've taught him during my time in prison, I've taught him how to do this tax return identity theft. While you were in prison? What happened was, is I don't see my dad for 20 some years. He shows up at my sentencing, stands up and he's like, I'm here for Brett. He can come live with me when he gets out. I want to make sure he gets a good start. So the first real conversation I had with my dad was when I go to prison, I'm at Ashland, Kentucky at the minimum security there. About the third visit, he looks at me and he, he was like, you know, I've been reading about you online. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And he was like, that's a lot of money you made. And I'm like, yeah. Then he was like, do you think you can teach someone how to do that? So I taught him how to do tax fraud, and he helped me escape prison is what happened. When I was released from prison, he met me, and he had been doing tax fraud, and he had a stack of gift cards, Visa Vanilla gift cards. He gave me these, these Visa cards so I could spend and have money while I was at the halfway house. And I started back in crime almost immediately after being released. And I think that that's what... Probably people wonder when they hear your presentation is extremely powerful. And I hope for anybody that's listening, they one they get to meet you one day (laughs) because you really make people think differently about their next steps or their next strokes or the next thing that they share online, because our whole lives are online now. So this is probably a field day for people or your former colleagues in your former life. Well, yeah. And, And, you know, with me. A lot of people told me, and I went through this drug count. I've never used drugs or been an addict, but I was fortunate enough to go through the federal system and their drug rehabilitation program. What they keep telling you time and time again is that the path to recovery is never a straight line, and I I am that guy. So (laughs) with me, it was I was arrested several times. Even when I was finally released from prison, I go back into crime. And I like to say that, you know, I, I went back because you're released with the exact same tools you go in with. The real reason is, is I went back because, by God, that's what I was used to doing, and I knew I could make money. That's the real reason. So, Brett, what's different now? What's different now? Geez, when I got out, of course, I was stealing money again. And my dad didn't want me to do that. He was scared I was going to go back to prison. And I basically just told him, hey, I'm going to do it with or without you. So I started stealing more money. And typically what happens with me is I, I get involved with bad choices on relationships. So I started, I started, of course, going and dating whatever women I could find. Things are going south pretty quickly on me. And I ended up meeting this, this one girl. Her name was Amy. 
she was an abused person. She was in a relationship and the guy had beat her pretty bad and she kept running back to him and she started stealing from me. She started stealing from you? Started stealing from me, yeah. Like out of your wallet? Out of the wallet. I had like a nightstand that had cash in it and everything. She stole like $2,500 at one point and all this other stuff. Not only that, but she went and told the FBI that I was committing crime and had sat down with an interview with them and everything else because her boyfriend that had been beating her told her, hey, go and tell the FBI on this guy. So that was what was going on at that point in time. And about the same time, my wife now, Michelle, Amy and I had broken up. My wife, Michelle, I'd had a friend of mine post an ad on Plenty of Fish, and Michelle had responded to that. I was used to these, you know, head over heels types of of relationships where you're just gung-ho and lustful over the person and everything else, and, you know, very unhealthy type relationships. And Michelle was not like that. I realized almost immediately that she was just a very solid ethical type person. I, I hadn't had that before. And it's very strange. To this day, I've been with Michelle since 2012. To this day, it's still very strange for me. <laughs> so I kind of made the decision that, that I needed to be with her to be healthy. It's been really the best decision I've made. So I ended up moving in with Michelle. I didn't, and I tell this story in my presentations. I say, you know, hey, I didn't have a job, could not get one. That's true. And I also say I, I was bumming money for my dad, and that's true. I got to the point, the feds in 2011, they enacted some more security stuff on tax return fraud, so I couldn't really commit that same type of crime as easily. And I was worried about them watching me and everything, so I, I've actually stopped in 2011. But I was still train people on how to do credit card fraud, everything else, and I started doing credit card fraud. So does that mean that you could teach me right this second oh, yeah. how to do credit card oh, fraud? Yeah. Yeah. No It's way. not very difficult. No way. <laughs> it's not very difficult. Well, we're not going to do that today. <laughs> well, maybe some other time. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I teach people in presentations how to do it all the time. I met Michelle, and before that, I didn't have any money, man. I was bumming money for my dad. I was on food stamps, could not get a job. I had a roommate taking care of half the rent. They tell you when you leave prison to get a cat, or they tell you to find something that you're attached to that you care about and get a job. Well, the thing I, was, I cared about was my little cat. Couldn't get a job. And had enough money one day to buy the cat some food and didn't have enough money to buy toilet paper, so I shoplifted toilet paper. That was one of these moments where I'm like, man, I have got to do something. Met Michelle right about that same time and ended up moving in with her out of desperation because I couldn't pay the rent, could not pay the rent anymore. We talked it over, and I ended up moving in with her. Got a job, finally, pushing a lawnmower, 50 hours a week, $400 a week. And the thing was, is I wasn't breaking the law. I was just, didn't have time. More than anything, I didn't have time to break the law. So I did that and busted my ass doing that. The job ended, and I go back into crime again. Credit card theft. And it started with me ordering food, but it quickly turns into clothes for me, for the boys, for Michelle, Christmas gifts everything else. And I, I guess that lasted 14 months, something like that. That's got, a long time. It's a long time. It's a long time. And at the same time, I'm going through this program with the probation prosecutor's office and I'm their star pupil. So it's, it's like, oh, Brett's doing everything right. And it, behind the scenes, oh no, Brett's not doing a damn thing right. So I got picked up by the police department, picking up a food order. And that's when everything came crashing down at that point. Okay. So In terms of your timeline, you're still currently married. I'm still married to Michelle, yes. To Michelle. So you've been in and out of crime during even this relationship. Yeah, until I get picked up on that food order. It was a Walton County Sheriff's Office in in the Panhandle of Florida. So I got picked up on that food order, and I go back to prison for 10 months. Wow. Oh, yeah. 
The prosecutor, she stands up and she was like, we think he's a good guy. Probation officer says the same thing. Judge gives me 10 months. Judge actually gave me a year. My probation officer stands up and he was like, you know, if you can give him a year and a day, he can get the good time and get out two months earlier. So the judge amended the, the sentence at that point. The only person that showed up at my sentencing was Michelle, the only person. And she's sitting there bawling, crying. She stands in front of the judge and tells the judge what a good guy I am. I'm standing there crying and everything. But she was the only person that showed up. My dad, my sister, nobody else showed up at that sentencing. I go back for 10 months. And during that 10 months, that's typically when I commit crime, a lot of it is to buy love. And that's a lot of my relationship type stuff, too. I'm used to the relationships where I'm buying the person's love all the time. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I don't know that that's any different from most relationships, a lot of people, and a lot of the way a lot of maybe men look at their role as being a caregiver for another woman or for children. Sure. You know, it's financial. You it want is. it to be a provider. So. Of course, you know, the difference with me is, is I'm willing to break the law to do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that that's that moral compass is situational. <laughs> on my part. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the difference. I got out after those 10 months and during that, and I've mentioned this in my presentations as well. I say, you know, Michelle is the first person I had in my life that needed me for me, not what I could give them. And that's true. She is. My sister was like that. My sister's, but as far as just a romantic relationship, she's the only person that's been like that. Even today, I'm still learning what that relationship means, you know, to try to be healthy in that. It's a never-ending learning cycle for me on that. Sure. <laughs> and I think it's probably, you have this inner voice that's fighting because... Oh, yeah. It's probably an easier life. What you know is a life of crime. It is. And you know how to credit card fraud. Oh, yeah. uh, there are things that your mind just naturally goes to that may be easier for you to do than to try to apply for a job after job after job and get rejected. So you have this internal struggle that you're going through constantly. Well, yeah, and, and I got out and I know to, even today, Kelly, I know what my triggers are. What are they? Things. What are your triggers? If I can't get a job, if I don't have money coming in, I can promise you I will only go so far <laughs> before something takes place. I was violated probation, got out of prison after 10 months, could not get a job, could not. Who's going to hire me? I'm the guy who stole everything, right? So again, I know what my triggers are. And of course, I'm like, okay, I got to do something. So idiot here, me. I've been looking at Identity Shield, I think was the company. They run like Legal Shield, they run Identity Shield, these other legal services and everything. They're an identity theft protection company that kind of works as a pyramid scheme at the same time. And I'm like, you know, I could run a pyramid scheme like that. <laughs> so I start posting ads on Indeed and Monster and Craigslist and all these other places. And I have a couple of websites thrown up that's kind of doing the same thing as Identity Shield. And I'm charging my employees, anyone that wants to work for me, I'm charging them for an employee packet. And that's really how I'm making money at that point. And I do that for about three months. And honestly, my heart was just not in it. I was like, okay, I can keep doing this. But at that point in time, I think I was just so damn tired of the same thing over and over again that I just couldn't do it anymore. And I knew that my next stop was either going to be in synthetic fraud or opening up a dark web marketplace. But what stops you? What stopped me was, I guess, the apathy of committing crime, of knowing where it was going to go, of knowing I was not going to remain a free guy for much longer. I had Michelle there, and she had this face like she knew I was going to go back, and she never knew I'd been doing all this stuff. But you could see it. Deep down, she knew that I was likely to go back to committing crime. 
So I told her, I was like, let me see what I can do. And I figured I had one more chance. So I signed up to LinkedIn. I was off probation. I could touch a computer. Signed on to LinkedIn, start messaging every single person on the planet. Anybody that's law enforcement, cybersecurity, fraud related, anything else, just sending them these connection requests. Then start sending them notices of, hey, I'm looking to be a legal guy, any type of consulting, speaking, anything else you need, let me know. It's not going anywhere at all. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm trying, but going back to crime soon. <laughs> and so I'm researching synthetic fraud. I'm, I'm looking about how to open up a dark web marketplace and everything else. I'm making all those connections. Finally, I see that Keith Malarski, he was this FBI super cop. He had been involved with the uh, Shadow Crew stuff, Carter's Market, Silk Road, all this stuff. He'd been in the book Kingpin with me and Max Butler. So he was on LinkedIn. I sent him a message. I was like, hey, man, I just want you to know that I have nothing but respect for you. And by the way, I would like to be legal, but I'm having trouble. <laughs> and the dude, within two hours, within two hours, he responded. Takes me under his wing, gives me advice. He's like, you need to be speaking. You need any references, let me know. The next person was this guy, Neil O'Farrell. He was the head of the Identity Theft Resource Council. He gets me my first speaking gig at a company called Ideology. It was a free speech, but he got me in front of a company. From there, Carice Hendrick of the Card Not Present group, she gets a connection request from me. She sees that I have a background in cybercrime. She was like, this guy can't be real. So she starts talking to me. She was like, you know, I've always wanted a keynote speaker for one of my conferences. Have you spoken at any conferences before? And of course I hadn't, and I'm like, oh sure, I speak all the time for consumer groups and everything else. <laughs> and she was like, you're sure you've done that? I'm like, absolutely. And she was like, do you have any references? And I'm like, as a matter of fact, I do. I just spoke two weeks ago at Ideology. I can give you an FBI reference, Identity Theft Resource Council reference, all that. <laughs> so Keith Malarski is what actually got me hired for her. I don't know what he told her, but it was evidently, you need to talk to this guy. Neil O'Farrell, he basically tells her, you need to watch out for this guy. He's a sociopath. <laughs> so, that's how they described you. That's how Neil said. Yeah, Neil What do you think yeah. about that? I think I'm not a sociopath. I'm aware of my victims. Are you? I am. Now, when I say victims, I mean family, friends, people I didn't even know. I'm aware of the damage I've done to them. I don't think a sociopath is really aware of that. Aware? And emotionally impacted by them are two different things. There, you're right. And I, I am emotionally impacted. Okay. I, I do have empathy for my victims. All right. Now, doing this legal thing now, I had no idea what the fraud triangle was on that the CFE is doing everything. You know, the uh, what is it? It's pressure. Opportunity, opportunity pressure, and rationalization. <laughs> there you go. I had no idea what that was. But once I learned about it, I'm like, okay, that justification thing, man, that hits hard. <laughs> that really does, because I was all about justifying everything I was doing. So I was like, you know, I did it for my family, for my wife, for my stripper girlfriend, for my sister. And I believe that shit. It was so bad that when I was working for the Secret Service and I, when I ripped them off, they violated my bond. I bond myself back out. I was interviewing with Tom Zeller. He was a New York Times writer at that point. Tom Zeller flies into Columbia, South Carolina the day I go on the run. Flies in that day and we're having lunch. He's got a photographer with him. <laughs> and he looks at me and he was like, so Brett, why did you do it all? And I'm like, I did it all for Elizabeth. She was the stripper. <laughs> so he looks at me and he was like, exact words. Brett, God damn it, at some point, you've got to take responsibility. And I had no idea, literally had no idea what the dude was talking about. For me, that was responsibility. I did it all for her. So it was always justifying something. Even when I was out of prison, so <laughs> it was Brett, still justified. 
what is different now? What is different that today, if you went out to the parking lot and your car wouldn't start <laughs> and it needed a new transmission, it was going to cost you $2,500 and you didn't have the money to do it, but you had the skills in your head sure. to create $2,500 sure. in your bank account right now. What stops you from doing that? What stops me from doing that is the support network I have. I had no idea what the hell that used to be. People told me about that. But now I've got, first and foremost, I think it's a support network. I don't really give myself a lot of credit for that stuff. I was smart enough that I surrounded myself with law enforcement initially. From there, it was, I've got all these people these days that have actually just kind of, they speak highly of me, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to be this. uh, So either it's true or you've convinced them that it's true. One of the two, right? (laughs) One of the two. I was a really respected criminal. And now I'm this really respected good guy, evidently. I don't call myself a good guy. I say I'm getting to be better, but not really a good guy. Well, you know, Brett, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you my impression of you is you're very nice and you're very, (laughs) you're very likable. And I know people are listening to us, but you're jolly. You have a positive, positive energy around you. And so you're a hard person to dislike. So, you know, until I steal from you. Yeah, until you steal from me and exactly. I become one of your victims. Hopefully, you will, you will care about me and not do right. that. But, you know, it's it's interesting because you're not what I think people expect. I remember when I read about you online and it was saying that you were on the US Secret Service most wanted list. Right. It's like and then I met you and I was like, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. This guy, no. But, you know, what's interesting and what's something I've always wanted to talk to you about is this idea of privilege. Uh, And from what you see, how different your life would be if you were either a different race or a different gender. I mean, I sometimes wonder if you were a female or an African-American male, could you call up this FBI agent and say, (laughs) hey, will you write a reference for me? And you know, all these people, these groups that believe in you now, How easy is that because of the privilege that you innately have? You're right. You're right. So not only am I white, but I'm well-spoken. And, you know, I'm very personal, very outgoing at the same time. I'm very good on my feet with people. And that comes from years of being a social engineer and everything else. Going through my prison experience, not everyone is like that at all. So you you do have African-American people that do not have that type of privilege, if you want to call it, or that ability to do that. And I think you're right. I think that if if I were African-American, if I were any brown person (laughs) and and asked for references or tried to convince a company that I was not a criminal anymore, that I was trying to do the right thing, I think the response would be a different response. And, you know, I really appreciate and respect your ability to identify that because I think that your road to recovery and this transition that you're in has been easier because of the fact that you can pull out your privilege and slap it on the table at any moment and say, because you clean up well. (laughs) You really do. You clean up well. You don't look like you were in prison. (laughs) No, you don't. You know, and I think about when you come to the class and uh, depending on the day. So if you wanted to wear a suit and you came in with a shirt tie, 
cufflinks and just started talking, <laughs> they will probably think you're an FBI agent. Sure. But, you know, it's just interesting because I don't think enough people recognize the power of privilege, whatever right. that privilege is. It doesn't just have to be race. No, and, it and can as be- far as gender, you're exactly right on gender as well. What I've seen on gender as far as cybersecurity goes, on the bad side of things, upper tier female cyber criminals. I've known two in my entire 20 years in, in the cybercrime environment, two. That doesn't mean that they're not out there. That just means the entry for a female into those ranks is restricted. On the good guy side of things, if you're in cybersecurity, a fraud analyst, what have you, males even now tend to get privilege on that. And if you're in a boardroom, I've seen it time and time again, you'll have a couple of, of ladies will be in there and they will. it's obvious that they know exactly what's going on. But the rest of the crowd defers to some male manager that has no idea what's going on. So it's like they always look to the male for approval. Is, is what she's saying correct? And that's, that's like that on both sides of the fence, both sides of the fence. So, Brett, welcome back with your time with Kelly. Let's just call it that. I just find you fascinating. And I think that's why I just keep coming back. (laughs) Just keep coming. Come back and talk to us again. But, you know, I feel like there's so many internal struggles that you must have. And I know we all have them. I mean, you have the skill set to know how to do bad. Right. But you don't. So you have to control that. Right. But then your new life. This post-conviction <laughs> life that you're in is a very dynamic role because in order for you to be a great speaker, right. you have to still stay up on the crimes. Absolutely. So you are a third-party observer of crimes that you can't engage in. That you can't engage in, but you but can you, study them all day you long. You can study them, but now <laughs> you're protecting people against them. Right. Do you feel like a traitor? You know, I don't. And a lot of that is because the response of the bad guys has not been of me being a traitor. That's a lot of it. So I use the same, my, my hacker slash cyber criminal name was Gollum Fun, kind of a play on the, the Lord of the Rings stuff. So I use that name a lot to this day. And I get these guys that will message me and they're like, hey, how do I do this? How do I actually commit this crime? And my response is, you don't. Because you've obviously not read the rest of the article where I served seven and a half years. So, and I'm like, why don't you get a, a degree in cybersecurity or certificate because it's a growing field? And they say no. They say, oh, well, I'm making plenty of money as it is. So their response has been a positive response. They think that once they're caught, that they can do what Brett Johnson's doing. They don't understand that, hey, it took me years upon years to build up a trust level to that. I'm a pretty well-educated speaker on stage. I, I had enough theater experience in my background and everything that I've, I'm pretty dynamic on stage as well. So they don't understand that they're not probably going to be able to do that kind of stuff. But the response from them has been pretty positive. On the good guy's side, the response has been pretty positive as well. <laughs> so I've had a couple of people that have wished me death, but overall the response has been good. So I, I'm very fortunate on that. I, I, I don't buy 
buy it. You don't? I don't buy it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because one, I think you have a very strong internal temptation. <laughs> it's just like I love candy. And okay. I really try. I really, really, really try hard not right. to eat it. But it calls me every now and then. <laughs> you know? And so in order for me not to eat candy, I have to wipe out all aspects of candy in my life. You, on the other hand. People, places, and things. People, places, and things. You, on the other hand, have kept your biggest trigger, the most negative thing in your life at the forefront right. to make you this dynamic speaker. When you come and speak to my students, you're talking about the latest, greatest <laughs> crimes, cyber crimes. Right. And so in order for you to do that, in order for you to be the 2019 version of the catch me if you can person, oh goodness, I forgot. Frank in order to be the 2019 <laughs> Frank, you gotta stay current. Right. But staying current means that you're so close. You're a click away from doing this again. Sure. So what has stopped you? And why do you want me to believe that you have not done anything in the past? Not done anything since I worked for Microsoft. Which would be? Which would be a little over two years. Two years. So yeah. you want me to believe that you've been reformed for two years. For two years, yes. How? Okay. So. It's in your face every day. You're studying these crimes every day. You're ranking them. You're like, now that right there is a good crime. I, I do say that to myself <laughs> a lot. Now that is a moneymaker. Cha-ching, <laughs> 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 that will make some money. So, okay, so what happened with me? And I'll walk through the entire thing with you. When I started speaking and consulting, I was still prepping to break the law. There was no doubt about it. I, I was like, okay, this is not going to work. I'm not bringing in enough money. I'm going to have to keep doing something else. What happens is, is everything kind of happened really quickly with me. Carice Hendrick brings me in for a keynote on the CNP Council, the Card Not Present Council. Before that, they had publicized my appearance there, so Bank of the West actually hires me to come in. So I'm starting to make almost immediately pretty decent money. So I don't have a need to break the law. Now that being said, I was still prepping to break the law. I was studying <laughs> on how to commit synthetic fraud. I was making every connection I needed to do that because synthetic fraud will net you. You know, you can make $100,000, $200,000 a month on that sometimes. So I'm looking at synthetic fraud. I'm still looking at how to open up a, a dark web marketplace. That's been my dream for years <laughs> is that. So I was still looking at that. And what happened was Microsoft comes in and hires me at the Card Not Present Expo. This guy named Sterling McBride, he heard I was keynoting it. He flies from Seattle down to Orlando just to talk to me. Pulls me off and he was like, give you a job testing all of our products. If you want it, build your own team. And I'm like, I like that. Build my own team, do whatever I want to with your products and services. Let's do that for a while. Well, by the time legal gets a hold of it, None of that happens. None of it. By the end of it, I'm simply surfing the web for them, and that's it. My job with them lasted about four or five months. But I was making a lot, a lot of money with them. So what happens is, is I talk about an aha moment. I talk about it flippantly. I say that, you know, I appeared on the United States Most Wanted list, and it was this aha moment. Time to go to Disney World. My real aha moment was right after Microsoft hired I was at the house. Michelle and the boys were asleep. I was on the laptop making some slides for a presentation. And it occurred to me that I was never going to have to break the law again right there. I was like, I'm making this kind of money right now. Microsoft has hired me. I'm going to be mobile. That's interesting because I think you realize you could live. Yeah. And, and you realize that you could use your skills for good or you could do something else. And with see, your there's, skills. A, there's a whole, you're, you're right, I've got these internal struggles that go on. Daily. Daily. 
And one of the other things is that, and I don't want to sound like a pompous ass saying it, but <laughs> a lot of it is because I work for do so much work for companies now, there's not really much of a challenge anymore. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so it was the challenge. It was I mean, a, it was like it. it was like an addiction. It, oh, it's absolute. It, it was a, I mean like you, when you made the, when you scored it was like, "Yes, yeah, I figured this out." Addiction. You know, something that you said to me or said to my class one time that I thought was just fascinating. You talked about, you know, we talked about the fraud triangle and all that. Right, but right. there's a triangle too in cybercrime oh, yeah. that you talked about the three <laughs> things and the reason why these communities are created because there's not really one person that's an expert at all three, so you have to integrate. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about those three sure. things? Sure. So, so it's the three necessities, and I've got a nice graphic now that I call the cybercrime triangle. And Peter Taylor from the UK helped me with that. John Schwartz, an FBI agent, he helped me with this as well. But there are three necessities committing cybercrime. Those necessities are gathering data, committing a crime, and cashing out. Now, when I say gathering data, of course, that is a crime as well. That's stealing PII, bank logins, what have you. But from a criminal point of view, that's not really the crime. That's just getting the information you need to commit the crime. So those three areas, gathering data, committing the crime, cashing out, all three things have to work together. If they don't, the crime fails completely. The problem, as you just pointed out, a single criminal can't do all three things. He's good at one thing. Sometimes he's good. Sometimes he's good at two. Most of the time, no. All three things, never. So what you see is, is you see these dark web and surface web groups, the forums, the marketplaces, all these other things that are online, that cybercrime structure, it facilitates this crime. It makes it possible so that the one guy can network with other people who are good in areas where he isn't. With me, I was always good at two areas, laundering money and committing the crime. Gathering the data, I can do that, but why would I if someone is so much better at doing that for me? And so now you're saying that the thrill, the challenge oh, is just not one. there. No, it's, it, there, there's not one. I mean, it's so you know all <laughs> you know these companies' exploits. You you talk to them every day. You see how they're being hit. You're aware of the holes at the specific type of company or vertical, anything else like that. It, there's no challenge anymore on it. It's like okay, so why would I? So I've been tempted twice over the past two years. The first was, when I was a criminal, one of the things that we always looked to do with credit card fraud was getting a Rolex. We always wanted the Rolex, and I had several Rolexes and all that crap as well. I started wondering a few months back, I was like, okay, I wonder if you can still get a Rolex with credit card theft, or how would you get a Rolex today? So it turns out now, you've got all these companies that rent Rolexes, Birkin bags, all these other things. So I was like, okay, that that temptation, that's fine. I know how to do that now. And I walked through every, that process on a podcast and a write-up as well. The next one, actually I mentioned this to a couple of reporters and we're trying to work on a story about it, is defrauding state treasurer's offices. So it turns out that in all 50 states, you have in the state treasurer's office, you have this unclaimed property division, which has over $50 billion worth of assets. So how easy is it to claim someone else's assets is in the unclaimed property office. Turns out it's pretty damn easy to do that. So I was very tempted by that. So of course, I'm like, okay, that's a lot of money. The victims don't know their victims. <laughs> so, so Brett, I'm gonna do a little experiment with you. Oh, geez. Again, I think you're a really nice guy and I feel very comfortable with you. <laughs> this is a question I want you to show, show me. What, what? The question I have to you is, how dangerous are you? How fearful should I be of you? So what I just did is I handed you my laptop. Okay. And I want you to show me 
what you can find about me. How good are you? How good are you still? Let me use my phone. Oh, your phone. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit easier on the phone. It's easier on mobile than it is on the laptop. For me right now, yeah. Okay, so you don't need my laptop. He's going to do it from a phone. Okay, here we go. So you're about to do a little experiment. You're going to tell me, when you think about con artists, you know, the root word, it comes from confidence, you know. And I think it comes from comfortable, you know. Oh, I I like that. I sort of had to change the spelling to make it work, but (laughs) I'm very comfortable with you. Like, I don't think that I should fear anything when it comes to you. But is that true? True. Are you truly reformed? Well, I am reformed. I am reformed. But you are, how dangerous are you? Well, now that's a different question entirely <laughs> at that point. <laughs> how dangerous are you? So just looking at your identity, all right? So I don't have access right now to what's called a TLO report, mm-hmm. which is TransUnion skip tracing software. But I do have access to legal services like Ben Verified, you could get the same access. And this is one of the things that criminals are very good at is using legal services to commit crime. So Ben Verified, Spokio, Intellius, White Pages Pro, People, all this other stuff, these are legal services. So I know you're born in February of 74. But, but that's it. So anyone could find yeah, it if they know how. Okay. Anybody can find it. But tell me this. This gives me your access to your Facebook links, all this other stuff. That? Sure. So the Ben Verified report has links to your social media account. Let me see it. Scroll on down there. It's got some past addresses. I can pull property reports, all this. And that's $20 a month for unlimited background checks is what that is. And that's through Ben Verified. That's one of the tools that criminals use. Anyone can do that. And so if you're just interested in me, this is what you do. Yeah, this is what I do. So I would pull a background check on you. I can go to another website here in just a second, get your social security number and real date of birth. Now, once I have that, what do I do? If I'm just a lower tier criminal, we're just doing lower tier stuff right now, okay? But if I'm a lower tier guy, I get the background check on Ben Verified. I pull your social security number and date of birth from RoboCheck. You're not about to do that though, right? No, I'm not going to buy it, but I'll pull it up. (laughs) If you buy it, you get in trouble at that point. Because first of all, well, I do because I don't have permission to do that. Okay. Not only that, but once it's purchased on a criminal website, other criminals start to notice who's being purchased. So oh. it may make you a victim even more at that point. Okay, so we can okay. stop this experiment. Right. Okay, so, <laughs> but that, that's one of the things that, that a lot of, especially identity theft, it's not a complicated process to do that. It's very easy to steal someone's identity. All right, now once I have that, I've got your background check. I pull not only the background check on you, but every single person that you're related to in order to answer any type of security questions that might pop up. Once I get that, I go over to annual credit report and get your credit report. Once I have the credit report, which is easy enough to get, I just need to answer some security questions on that. How long does this whole process 15, take? 15, 20 minutes. All right. So now I've got the credit report. What do I want to do then? Any number of things. So, Brett, this is what you used to do. I used to do this. I used like to do all day? Yeah. All day. All day. I had to. Back then, you didn't have like voice over IP numbers or anything like that. So I had, I had a garage table full of prepaid cell phones. And each cell phone had a little tag of paper taped to it about whose name it was associated with. So Do you have was, any pictures of this? No, I have no pictures of this. <laughs> my house. Oh, my God. My house. I was living in Charleston, South Carolina. On my arrest, I was arrested by the FBI and the Charleston County Police Department. The Secret Service comes in and takes over the investigation. But they search the house, the FBI and the Charleston Police Department. They come in the house, 
In the spare bathroom, I had $10,000 in 20s in a drawer. In the kitchen, the cabinets, instead of having dishes in there, I had prepaid cards, prepaid debit what? cards. What? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. I was uh, just crazy stuff, absolutely crazy. And, of course, they were wanting to know what the prepaid debit cards were for because back then that type of crime hadn't been out for very long. There were very few people committing that. So I'm sitting there going, oh, I just had prepaid debit cards. It's nothing, nothing at all. So, yeah, it just had all the cell phones out, all this kind of stuff. I'm just crazy, crazy stuff. And lying to everyone, everyone. (laughs) So would you say now that you can sleep better at night? Is the new Brett, I mean, or is your new worry where your money's coming from? Like, what's better? Is it better to be engaged in this life of crime, or is it better to be in this upstanding legal life but wonder where your next check is coming from? You know, my worries these days are first world problems. That's it. I don't have any problems with budgets anymore or finding jobs or work. I don't worry about knocks at the door from law enforcement. That used to be a major concern. So that would be daily. Oh, man. A cop pulling behind you. As you're driving down the street, you get scared then. Cop pulls in the neighborhood. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, your front blinds were drawn all the time. The cars that you bought, you couldn't have a loud color. You had to have a a subdued color so it wouldn't stick out. So all these things you had to consider, you know. I don't have those worries anymore. In terms of how you lived, did you live in like a big mansion? Did you have a Mercedes? Or did you have just a really modest life? Well, I had the Mercedes. (laughs) Oh, so you did? Okay. But, well, it was a used Mercedes. The new vehicle I'd purchased, I purchased a brand new Mini Cooper in 2004. Because I love that little car. They're so cute. I wanted that car. So I <laughs> paid cash for it. That was the only new vehicle I had. I had a Mercedes 280 that was used. Had a, a truck. Had a boat. A couple of jet skis. The house was not a mansion or anything like that. The house was just a ranch-style home. It was like 2,200 square feet. Of course, it had a dock and everything else on it. It had everything I needed, you know, and, and I didn't have any bills. That was the big thing. With me, I never had any, uh, any bills. My budget was simply to steal more money if I needed it. And what happened was is I was married to my first wife for nine years, and she got to the point where she really liked to spend the money. But she had more morality than I did. Her moral compass was better than mine. So she was always guilty about it. I was the guy who was not, (laughs) you know, just steal more money. It bothered her a great deal. She figured the only way she could get out of the relationship, and she was right, was to cheat on me. So that's what she did, and she let me find out about it. I don't even want to go there and understand that. No, it was, uh, she was (laughs) on a computer, and she had cheated on me before, and I had called her, and we had talked it out and everything, and I thought everything was fine. Six months later, I start noticing that every time I walk by her, she's hiding her computer screen from me or changing the screen and everything. I'm like, okay, something's going on there. So I waited one night until she goes to bed. I decided to go through everything on the computer, put a key logger on it and everything else. And of course. Of course you I'm did. Because I'm that idiot. <laughs> and find out she's cheating on me. And we break up at that point. I didn't spend a lot of money back then. I mean, I, I bought things, but I wasn't you know, lavishly spending on stuff. So Susan, she leaves me. And I start seeing a psychologist because I get suicidal as hell, man, just depressed and suicidal. I saw the psychologist for three or four months, and I say in my presentations I got lonely and horny. The truth is, is I got horny and lonely. So I had, I had never been to a strip club. I was 34 when I walked into my first one, and I had researched this. Of course, I was a research guy. I had researched this strip club online, seen posts that the girls would give out extras. You know, you could sleep with them. So I go in, and I meet this girl named Elizabeth, and paid $400 for a bottle of Corbell champagne. 
and ended up talking to her, just talking the entire night. A week later, I walk back in and figure, I don't want sex. I just want to go out with you. Would you like to have dinner with me? We start dating. I moved her in my house within, uh, geez, two months. Moved her Whoa. in my house. Found out she was addicted to coke. Oh, no. Oh, oh yeah. So what was happening was she was still working as a dancer. She wouldn't come home some nights. And some nights, some mornings, she'd call me, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning in a parking lot in the car, unable to drive herself home, come and get me. I had never, I'd been married to Susan for nine years, had never ransacked a woman's purse in my life. Had never done that. So I bring Elizabeth home one morning, tuck her into bed, as soon as she's asleep, grab her purse, empty it out. There's Coke, the straws, everything else. And I just start crying, man, just crying. So I start looking her up online, find out she's been not only addicted to Coke, but she's been selling herself for it. And it, it absolutely broke me at that point. I think I got to the point that I wanted to, I figured if I could fix her, I could fix me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. At least subconsciously, I figured that. Mm-hmm. So I, I cut off all contact with friends, everything else, and just was with Elizabeth constantly at that point. But still engaged. So well, I, didn't, I wasn't breaking the law. Okay. I was too worried about her yeah. to break the law, so I quit. So you had something else to occupy your time. I had something else to occupy my time. And a very new challenge. Right. Oh, yeah. New challenge. A very that, new challenge. Very and new so challenge. So what happens is I start, that's what got me arrested was, I mean, breaking the law got me arrested. But what actually got me caught, Shadow Crew made the front cover of Forbes in August of 04. October 26th of 04, Secret Service arrested everyone, and I was the only guy who got away from that. What had happened was... The August news thing hits with Forbes magazine. By this point in time, I've been dating Elizabeth for probably eight or nine months. And I had gotten it in my head that whatever she wanted, I could give it to her, and that would keep her mind off drugs. Okay, purses, whatever. So that became, Jesus, $20,000 a week sometimes, spending stuff on her. Went through all the stateside money that I had. The bust happened. Secret Service arrested everyone in October. And I'm scared to do anything at that point. I can't go into tax fraud because this tax season has ended in October. I can't go into carding, credit card theft, because Secret Service has arrested everyone. So in order to get money so that we could actually live and I could do all this stuff, I start running counterfeit cashier's checks and get picked up doing that. And that's what happened. Right. This has been an eye-opening conversation <laughs> that we've had. And I think that even during our breaks, we have oh, th- these yeah. new revelations. <laughs> and something that's come up that I really want to talk about that I'm interested in, okay. it's your mental wellness and health now, oh, the new bread. And I'll give you an example that we can talk about and sort of use this example in your life. And uh, I don't know if you watched When They See Us on Netflix. I don't know if you I know. I have not seen that yet. Okay. And so, you know, the premise of the story. And so what I often wonder with the guys, the Central Park Five guys, is their life now. So much of their life was spent and consumed in prison, wrongfully accused, and they lost the years that they can't get back. But they are now, you know, they came back into society as these changed people. And, you know, they had to reacclimate to this new place. And I think about you, (laughs) you know, here you are just 2014 
was your last known, <laughs> last known offense. Crime. Well, actually, now, 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 2014 is when I got out from violation. Okay, all right, right? so about two years of just being completely clean, a little now, bit over two years. Okay, so, okay. so two years. So you've been clean two years. Right. Two years, but in that time period, you are a completely different person. You have reclaimed your life, rebranded yourself, become this global advisor and expert on how to protect, how people can protect, how companies can protect themselves from the old Brett. <laughs> but your family that is with you met you as the old Brett, and now you're this new guy. How is that for you? I mean, you just have so many struggles every day <laughs> that you're battling, right? The new Brett, the old Brett, the old Brett cyber criminal, the new Brett, the cyber advisor. Right. But you're still you. So how do you deal with, what do you do to keep yourself mentally healthy? You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the answer. <laughs> no, uh, what do I do? When I met my wife now, Michelle, she's got three sons. I've got three stepsons. And I was this criminal guy. I was. I was this criminal guy. I kept it hidden from him. But I was also the guy that, and you've pointed it out, I'm, I'm very jovial, very funny and personable and outgoing and everything. I was basically the clown. And sometimes that's a way to cover up for something else. Yeah. Through the house, I do these voices. You know, I'm, I'm this character. I'm a character. Back then, I really adopted that. I went into that just being a character, being a clown. I'll, I'll be the jokey guy. And you're right. I mean, over the past couple of three years, I've changed on that. I'm still the joking guy, but I'm much more focused on, I don't want to be remembered as the guy who stole things. Mm -hmm. That's what's important to me. You're becoming a new person. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting about this journey for you is society is allowing you to be a new person. And that you mentioned that with privilege. That's a lot of it. They're, they're giving me the opportunity Whereas someone else of a different color or a different gender would not have that opportunity. They've given me the opportunity to be a different person. And by God, I'm grabbing it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm doing everything I can to, to do that. And you know something else? We just focused a lot about your transformation, but your family has to deal with your transformation too. And, you know, before when we talked off the podcast about this earlier today, I had never realized, you know, I've been just f so focused on what I'm doing. I never realized until you said that, well, they have to adjust to the new me as well. That had never really hit me until, until you said that today. Mm -hmm. you know, I am. I'm this guy now that's much more focused. Back then, I was doing a lot of bullshit, and I put up with a lot of bullshit. These days, I don't do that. <laughs> These days, I don't. I've told my wife this, and you're right. I mean, my wife has seen this in me. I don't think she understands that, but I'll get angry sometimes, or I don't know if it's angry. I'm not really an angry guy, but I get kind of fed up, you know, because I'm like, I'm trying to work on this stuff. And she has said to me, she's like, well, you used to not be like this. And my response is, is I don't have the time to sit back and explain a lot of things. What I'm doing right now, I can say something a couple of times, you know, I've already said I'm doing this, I'll take care of it and everything else, but I don't have the time that I used to, to sit back and bullshit on stuff that I don't consider consequential anymore. And in that respect, it's a different Brett Johnson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would imagine that it's something that you work on on a daily basis, work on and struggle with, because you know that since they met this other guy, 
that might be who they are attracted to. Oh, sure. And so <laughs> you don't want to be all of that, but there's some <laughs> elements of that that you might want to hold on to just to keep their love because you know you're always looking for that. You know, it's, it's, it's so odd that you say that because, and it's been the past few months of this, of me, I guess, realizing that I, I am this, something about me is fundamentally different than it used to be. And what I say to Michelle all the time is, I am going to be who I'm going to be. And there's nothing that's going to change that. You're going to be who you were called to be. Well, and, and I don't know if it's a calling or not, but it, 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 it is. I mean, I, I, it is. I mean, it like, is. It is. I mean, come on. You live in Alabama. You're from the South. Come on. Come on. You know where you are. We're going to have some church bad. in here. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Hot, humid, racist. It's pretty bad. So, she's talked to me about changing, you know, trying to change who I am. I don't think she's realized it. And I, I've not until I started talking to you today. I don't think I've realized that, and she certainly hasn't, about I am changing, and I have changed. And from my viewpoint, the change that I'm undergoing now is a much more important, better change for me. And I think I'm not really explaining that to her properly in saying, you know, the person I'm changing into is really who I need to be to be healthy. I don't think I've taken the time out to really have that conversation with her yet. And I think I probably need to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's some fun aspects of the old <laughs> Brett. And there's, oh, yeah. and there's some very consistent and maybe dull aspects of the new Brett. Well, you know, the old Brett could bring in a brand new computer system costing $5,000 every now and then, right? And the new right. Brett doesn't do that. <laughs> The old bread could bring in, you know, you'd have a, a Christmas tree and you'd have so many gifts under it that they would spill out, you know, five or six feet into the floor. The new bread, there's a budget. <laughs> <laughs> this is what is, is spent on Christmas. So there's a big difference. The old bread was much more accommodating. I would just accept a lot more stuff. And these days it's because of the way I'm focused and the work that I'm doing. I want the people around me to be engaged in something as well. Right. And in order for you to get those projects done, you need the buy-in from those people. Yeah, I need, I need that. And trust is such a hard thing to get and an yeah. easy thing to lose. Well, and, and it's funny you say that because it used to be. And we, being my wife, and I, I love the hell out of my wife, but we've had this conversation because I used to, as I was building up this consulting and speaking, and even today I have these plans and goals that I'm trying to reach and these projects that I'm working on. And... Sometimes I'll mention a project, and it's not really accepted. I'm building a, a website now that is a replacement for a site called Deep.Web, which is a dark web tracking site, or it was until the feds shut it down. So now I'm working with security professionals to rebuild this in a legal manner. All right? And my wife, I mentioned this to her, and she was like, aren't the bad guys going to be mad at you? And I'm like, I hope they will be. <laughs> and then she was like, well, who are you targeting? And I'm like, I'm targeting everyone who breaks a law online. Terrorists, financial cyber criminals, pedophiles, everybody. And she was like, but they could shoot you. Well, that's not what I want to hear. <laughs> you know, because that, that does not help me accomplish my goal. <laughs> so but I, I, think, I think what what she's also saying but not saying is this transition of, well, why would you do that? That's not who you are. It wasn't who I was. It anymore. wasn't who you, <laughs> you know, it wasn't who I knew you to be. Right. So why are you turning on them? Right. You know, why can't you just leave it alone? But yeah, this and is, that's been one of the phrases. Why, do, why can't you just leave but it But this is part of your growth. Yeah. 
And I think it's interesting because when you think about how to stay out of trouble, this is the way, you know, identifying for you, fighting what you used to do. A couple of my partners have, they see that in me. They kind of liken me to this reformed drug addict or alcoholic that is a teetotaler now. And by God, I am a teetotaler now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's there's no, if I walk out of the store and I've not paid for something, I head my ass back in and pay for it. (laughs) If I get too much change, I have to give the change back these days. And I was not that guy. I used to not be that guy. My middle stepson, Brendan, this is a few months back. We had a storm, and he had this old Ford pickup truck in the yard. And a, a branch fell down on the trunk, and it dented the hood of the truck. And I told him it was a good-sized dent. And I told him he had to dent it. So he comes home, and he looks at the truck, comes inside, and he was like, just leave the branch on it. And I'm like, what? He's like, oh, just leave the branch on it. I'm like, why? He's like, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get insurance on the truck, let it sit out there for 30 days, then I'll claim the branch fell on it at that point, and I'll have the insurance company fix it. And it got me so bad. I'm like, what? (laughs) He he repeats himself, and I looked at him, and I said, look, here's the way this household runs. It's not a democracy. It's it's a dictatorship. It's more like Cuba, and I'm Castro. (laughs) And I told him, I said, look, when I start breaking the law again is when you can start breaking the law again. Nobody breaks the law until I do. (laughs) in this house. (laughs) So I said, right now, you can go get the branch, throw it away. You're going to fix the truck yourself out of your own pocket. And uh, he didn't like that, but I'm I'm like that with most everything. I can't think of any type of crime. The one thing I was doing, a buddy of mine, Preston Ackerman, he's an FBI agent out of the Oklahoma City field office. And I was giving a, a speech at Tulsa University. And he meets me, and I'm like, Preston, I'm doing so good. And he was like, you are? And I'm like, I'm doing great, man. I said, the only crime I'm breaking these days, Mm -hmm. and this is like a year and a half, two years ago, I'm like, the only crime I'm breaking these days is I download movies every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at me, and he was like, really? And I'm like, that's it, man. I'm not doing anything else besides that. And I was real proud of myself. And he looks at me, he's like, Brett, you know, a movie doesn't cost that much. (laughs) (laughs) I I looked at him and it got me so bad I was like you're right it doesn't cost that much (laughs) so I need to stop that too Mm -hmm. and that was it that was Mm -hmm. it that was really the last crime I committed right there was downloading the torrents (laughs) oh wow well so Brett what's next what's next for you if we were to have this conversation a year from now or 18 months from now what's next I don't know what's next I know that a lot of people ask me, am I making amends, I guess? I don't think you can make amends for what you've done. I don't believe in that. You don't pay back what you've done. You can't make up for stuff. But I I think that I'm doing, I'm making better choices than I used to make. And I'm hoping that in the future I continue to make those choices, you know? With me, it's my relationship with my wife and family, figuring that out and moving forward with that. You know, I told you earlier that I would like to be the guy that I don't want to be remembered for for stealing money, from stealing from people. I would like to be able to do something because I'm always that guy. My sister the other day, she looks at me, she's like, you never take anything in common areas, do you? You never do anything light. You go from extremes on all these poles. You used to be the head bad guy. Now you're talking at Quantico. (laughs) And she's right. I mean, with me, I guess it's that ego stuff. I have to do things big. So I'm hoping that I can make enough of a difference with this whole cybercrime stuff. Oh, I I mean, I think you can. I think the main thing for you is just staying current. And, you know, that goes back to one of the earlier segments we did is 
in order for you to stay current, you've got to stay present <laughs> in it. And so you're constantly tempted. Constantly. And constantly. so, you know, you need to make sure that you really are surrounding yourself right. with people and groups because you are triggered. You are like an alcoholic working at a bar serving drinks every day or going to bartender school right. and learning about new drinks and concoctions that you should never taste. <laughs> <laughs> you should not do that. Brent. Right. You know you that, I mean, do that. that's what you are. And that's a challenge. You know, that is, is a, is. and I think that when people hear you, I hope that when they listen to this, they understand how difficult that really is. I mean, you're doing good by sharing these tips, but you are really working hard to, Learn, acquire, disseminate, and not do. <laughs> and not do. And not do. Sometimes you do do. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that, what you said to me earlier about people accepting me for the person I'm becoming and me doing that as well, that makes all the difference. And I'll tell you this. I'm going to tell you why I also think that you like your presentations and you like speaking. Because those are people that don't know you, and they accept the new bread. Oh, yeah. Easily. Oh, yeah. Easily. They Easily. only know what you say. <laughs> so they accept this fun and this nice and this jovial and this charismatic guy with this redemption story. Right. And so no one else ever... It's a good story. And it's a great story. And no one knew the old bread. So right. these audiences that you are in front of... They sort of are your medicine because they allow you to be the new Brett. You're right. They do. And and I've gotten to the point, I've gotten so comfortable with my audiences now that I, I'll end the presentations by talking about the victims. I got to the point, I promised myself that pretty quickly into speaking, I said, you know, every time I'm up there, I'm going to try to find something new about me is what I wanted to do. And I finally got to the point where I was comfortable enough to talk about the damage I did to the people that I was stealing from. So that's what I, I tend to end a presentation talking about that kind of stuff. And I give the worst stories I can possibly give. And that's to give the audience, we've laughed, I've screamed, I've done all this stuff during the presentation. But at the end of the day, I want you to realize that there was a point that I was just this despicable guy. <laughs> can you share one of those stories, one of your victim oh, stories? Oh, I'll share a couple with you. It was toward the end, before I was captured, I was with Elizabeth and I was running counterfeit cashier's checks. What I was doing is I was finding items on eBay, usually bullion and coin collections, and I was sending them fake cashier's checks or having a COD order come in and paying with it with a cashier's check. This woman, single parent, had a couple of kids. She had a coin collection, and she was selling the coin collection to put a roof on the house for her kids. And I stole that from her right there. And that's not even, I mean, hell, I could probably try to justify it if it had happened when I started out in cybercrime. This was toward the end. So there was that. How did you know? How did you know this was her story? She told me. I talked to her on the phone. Oh. In order to build up the trust with your victim, sometimes, if you're especially with an order, a scam like that, you need to be communicating with the person. Email's not a good enough tool to do that, so you need to pick up the phone and build a rapport with the person. So I picked up the phone, called her, and talked to her a good week, 10 days, you know, a couple of times a week or maybe a couple of times a day sometimes, you know, talking about the coin collection and everything else, making sure that she trusted me enough to send me that as a COD order. Oh, got it, got it, got she it. She told me the entire story. She was trying to put a roof on everything else, and I didn't care, didn't care. So going back to one of the original questions in the first segment, what's changed now that makes you care? I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that's hurting people mm -hmm. all the time. You know, like I got engaged to Elizabeth, all right? 
And my entire thing, I wanted more than anything to have her love me. I wanted to make sure she was going to be okay. And I know, I know now that I never made her life any better. I just made it worse. Oh, no. Oh, you no, feel... I did. I made really? it worse. But now do you feel like you're making it better? I mean, I don't, I don't know her anymore. I tried to talk to her after I got out of prison. Oh, the, oh, the... Now, this was a stripper. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. But that's, that's one of the things that I don't want to be the guy that's hurting people anymore. Well, you know what I hear you say, Brett, is I think you've reached the age <laughs> where you're thinking about your legacy. Well, because you keep saying, you know, how you want to be remembered, not to say you're about to die tomorrow, but but, <laughs> but you're thinking more reflectively about what do I want to be known for? What do I want to be about? I don't want to be about the guy that stole from people. And now that you're in these companies with the challenge being removed and all these people trusting you, it's so easy to be this new guy. It is. I've been given the opportunity to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, we talked earlier about me wanting to have a kid possibly and everything else in the future. And you're right. A lot of it's legacy stuff. I mean, I'm trying to be this this new person. I'm still the old Brett Johnson. I'm trying to be this new guy. Well, there's aspects. I mean, I think there's going to be aspects of you that will never change. I think you're, you love people. You're a people person. I am a people person. You're a people pleaser. <laughs> I am a people pleaser. Which is good and bad. <laughs> well, it's, it's very bad if you're on the cybercrime side of Because you're trying but, to please the wrong but, people. But, you know, there's, there's aspects of you that, that will always stay. But you can do them in a legal way, too. Yeah. So, you know, you, you wanted to know what for the future with me. I think the future with me is just trying to figure out, continue to figure out who the hell I am. I think you figured I it out. I think you figured it out, though. It's just action items every day. You figured out who you want to be. You're just figuring out what's the path, how to stay on that path to continue to be that guy. But you figured it out. You figured out I don't want to be the person that's known for stealing from people. I know that. I know that. You know that. And, and you're older now. You know, you think about it. You're older now. And you have a new challenge. And can you sustain this new Brett? That's your new challenge. You know, it's, it, we're talking about that mental health thing. And it was this last year, Kelly, that I finally had enough... I don't know, courage, whatever the hell you want to call it, gumption, whatever, that I confronted my mom with the abuse that she put me, my sister, and my dad through and told her the effects that it had had on me. Denise, my sister, she's not spoken to my mom in over a decade, a decade, because that's what she had to do to be healthy. I was the guy that was always talking to my mom. I, you know, it was a, always a tenuous conversation, but I was, I'd talk to her and everything. And finally, she was talking to me one day on the phone. She was like... I don't know why your sister won't talk to me. I finally, I, it just snapped. I was like, you really don't know. And she's like, no, I have no idea. And so I started walking her through. I was like, do you remember when you tried to get Denise kicked out of college? When you, when you lied and said that she was a prostitute, that this guy was pimping her out. And they almost kicked her out of school. No, I don't remember that. So I, I started walking her through all the stuff she had done with Denise. And finally that transitioned over what she had done with me. And I didn't even mention it. I hadn't even mentioned it to anybody. Neither one of my wives, no girlfriend, my dad, nothing, man, until I mentioned it to mom. And I I told her, I was like, you know, mom, I was probably eight or nine. And I'd catch you and dad gone. And I'd pee in the floor. And mom got real quiet. She's like, what? And I was like, I would catch you guys gone. And I'd I'd urinate sometimes in the floor. And I, I mentioned that at a conference, too. And what I found out was that's a control mechanism. These abused kids, sometimes the only, only control you've got is something like that. So I told my mom that. I started walking her through all these other types of abuse that she had put us through over the years. 
and she flew mad and she started calling me a liar. That never happened. I would have found it. That never happened. And that's the way the call ended. And I've not spoken since that point. She tried to call me about a month and a half ago again. And I told her, I was like, look, I said, you're my mom. I love you. I don't really like you, but I love you. But until you're ready to accept responsibility for what you did and, and willing to talk it out with me, I have nothing else to say to you. I think for me, that's one of these growth things. You know, I've, I've got to the point where I'm able to do that because I'm pretty adamant about, about wanting to, to better myself. We talked off this podcast a little bit, but I think that when you're bettering yourself, there are some choices that have to be made that are not the best. You know, they don't feel the best in the world. <laughs> you know, they're hard, hard choices. It's hard to go so, through. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mr. Brett Johnson, I look forward to what the future holds for you. I think that my identity is safe with you. Oh, yeah. I don't have enough for you to want to take. Oh, listen. <laughs> well, how much have you got? <laughs> I'm sure you would probably already know. This has been enlightening, and I commend and respect what you're trying to do. Thank you, Kelly. Um, I and I, I do think that you, you'll do a lot of good. Last night I was at the Diana Ross concert and she oh. the, and the last song she sung was Reach Out and Touch Someone. Make this world a better place if you can. Was it, was it outstanding? Oh my gosh. She was amazing. But anyhow, I look forward to what's next for you. Thank you. And thank you for giving me the opportunity no, to talk with you, you on I these segments. It. I really do. I can't wait to hear what's next. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anglerfish. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's Brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H dot com. Please tell your friends about us. Rate and review the Anglerfish podcast wherever you can. In the next few weeks, we'll be launching Season 2 of Anglerfish, which will examine the darkest corners of our online lives and what you need to do to remain safe. Please email me questions, comments, concerns, personal stories, and any topics you might like to hear discussed. That's brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.